Hi, I'm Janie Goddard, and I'm broadcasting today with SoFlo Vegans. Hello, and welcome back to the SoFlo Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlo Vegans, Sean Russell. On today's episode, Janie Goodard is our guest, and she is an international number one best-selling author, broadcaster, actor, ballerina, circus artist, and president and founder of the Complementary Medical Association. She had an amazing journey to reclaiming her health that she shares, along with conversations about the standard American diet, healthcare, and vegan activism. Remember to keep listening until the end for a spotlight featuring the Carib Vegan. So get comfortable, keep your heart and eyes open, and enjoy our conversation with Janie Goodard. You are listening to the So Flow Vegans podcast. Hey everybody, we're here with Janie Goddard and so excited to have you on the podcast and um, welcome. Thank you. Oh, Sean, it's so lovely. Um, I'm so pleased that you asked me to do this because, you know, we've been trying to get together, haven't we, for absolutely ages to get this done. So uh, we finally managed to find a sort of a little mutual diary gap. So, yeah. And and the reason I wanted you on, I mean, I, I watched your presentations. This was at the Balance for Life event back in September of 2019. And uh, just the wealth of knowledge that you have, as well as your unique perspective of living in the UK. And if you've been in the vegan community for any length of time, you know how big the UK is in terms of plotting the course of where other places are going to go. So I definitely want to talk to you about that in this podcast. But what I want to start off with is just give everyone listening a little bit of a background um, about yourself and, you know, what you're currently doing for the day. <laughs> Gosh, where do I start? Okay, so uh, my background is that um, I, I have a very strange background, but I'll give you the, the really easy-weasy potted history. Started off as a ballerina, accidentally became a circus aerialist. Um, it's a long story, so I won't give you all the details. Uh, but I was traveling in some really, really obscure places um, back then. You know, it was the early uh, to mid 80s. And I was traveling in places uh, with circuses where we had no access to electricity or running water and certainly no access to what we would consider to be conventional medicine. Now, of course, being circus artists, we were getting injuries and so on. And um, even though the show that I was on was like a forerunner to Cirque du Soleil, which is why they'd recruited ballerinas, um, you know, you can kind of see how that pattern kind of comes out. Uh, what was happening though was that we were getting sick and we were getting injuries. Uh, so. I've always kind of I've I've always had this this passion and, and deep interest in health and wellness from being a small child. Um, I was either going to be a a doctor, a vet, or a ballerina. So I, it all ended up ballet because <laughs> you have to really commit. And uh, anyway, so so that's what happened. I, I was very interested and very intrigued about you know um, the fact that 
when we were in these obscure places and we were having these health problems, they wouldn't, we didn't have access to conventional medicine, as I say, so they would bring in the local medicine woman or the local witch doctor, or, you know, and so, and these people would do um, acupuncture on us. You know, I was in Southeast Asia an awful long time. Um, when I was down in Mexico and South America, they would bring in herbs and give us all sorts of concoctions and decoctions and so on. And these things all really, really worked and they were brilliant and they were actually faster working and more effective than the types of con conventional medicine that I'd seen up to that date, which was basically uh, strap it up and bandage if, if it could be strapped up and bandaged or give the person antibiotics. You know, that was it, you know, really good binary choice. And uh, so, yeah, so, so that's what I was seeing, these incredibly nuanced um, types of treatments. And, you know, yeah, we were getting sick and I got quite sick myself. You know, as I say, we were traveling in some, you know, places where, uh, you know, the, the water quality was more than highly questionable so i came back to the uk with some you know some problems some health problems some amoebas and all sorts of weird things going on and um and possibly some parasite issues that sort of thing you know we, we kind of know we know the story so i i suffered for quite a long time really not knowing what to do my my doctor uh, had me on antibiotics for years and years and years, which was completely the wrong thing to do. Um, so it totally wrecked my immune system, uh, wrecked sort of my, my, my gut health. And as we know, the immune system is so related to gut health and the, the microbiome is absolutely crucial. So, um, I, I came back to the UK. I was back. I was in the West End doing West End shows, dancing. That's like being on Broadway. It's the same same thing. And uh, and acting and doing a lot of film and TV for the BBC and so on. And uh, But still struggling with these health problems. And it wasn't until I spoke to somebody in a health food store and explained what was going on. And she said, oh, you need these, these herbs. And I thought, mm, okay, fine, in for a penny, in for a pound. I'd got my head and switched back into that Western um, viewpoint of, well, you know, if you're unwell, chuck some medicine at it. Um, and I suddenly thought, okay, yeah, well, those herbs, they did work when I was traveling. I'll give it a go and, and see what happens. And um, lo and behold, the problems that I was suffering from really did get better remarkably fast. Um, so, so that was that. And I was still dancing and still acting and so on. And, uh, but had this hankering uh, very much to go um, kind of into medicine in some way but I knew that from my experiences and what I'd seen um, and horrendous misdiagnoses that I'd seen where people's you know people's lives were compromised by conventional medicine I thought well what do I do and it suddenly became apparent that I could go and train and become a my, my the first thing I trained in was homeopathic medicine so I went away um, again, very long story short, but I did a seven year training in homeopathic medicine. I then came out of that and uh, I was still struggling with some health issues. And by the time I graduated from there and I'd, I'd bolted on a few more disciplines as practitioners do, um, I was starting to develop symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, didn't know that, I didn't have a name for it at the time. I just realized that I was getting unwell. and you know, I was noticing that my joints were starting to really be very stiff and painful. Um, and of course, I just, you know, thought, well, yeah, you know, but elderly, you know, geriatric ballerina, what, you know, what more can you expect? You know, that's 
pretty normal that's pretty much you know what happens to ballet dancers and especially if you've beaten yourself up being a circus artist as well and uh, so anyway I kind of ignored it but eventually it turned out that I had um, rheumatoid arthritis and things um, from the very very sort of beginning uh, to where I really started to notice very strong symptoms. Um, you know, I, I felt that I couldn't get out of bed without sort of like hobbling around for the first hour or so in the morning. From that point, um, and my doctor sending me for blood tests uh, to three weeks later, I was in a wheelchair. So I went from being an ultra, ultra fit individual uh, complete with six pack, which is unusual for girls, you know, especially if you're not a bodybuilder and dieting down, um, to being somebody who was completely and utterly dependent upon others for everything. I was a wheelchair, full time wheelchair user for 10 years. Um, and I would have periods where I'd be slightly better and slightly worse, you know, so it, it just kind of, it's this roller coaster. It was, it was ghastly. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, at my very worst, Sean, I was, uh, I, I went into a massive, massive flare up. It was, it was a cytokine storm um, that caused my body to just catabolize, catabolize all of my muscle tissue for fuel. Um, because it just, just you know, the inflammation levels were so high that my body, in order to fuel that inflammation, uh, because don't forget, inflammation is your body's attempt to sort of save you. And of course, when it gets out of hand, it becomes a cytokine storm. Basically, your body attacks literally everything, brain, kidneys, liver, lungs, everything in me was being attacked. And I went down to 85, 90 pounds. Um, and I was just really skin and bone, quite literally. I was admitted into hospice care because they thought that I wasn't going to actually make it through and that I really was going to expire. Um, they gave me about two weeks to get my affairs in order, as they say, um, because I wasn't expected to live. So. Um, Bit by bit, I, I knew I was a practitioner. I qualified in complementary medicine. So this was, ad, you know, really adding insult to injury. All the things I was doing and had been doing up to that point just weren't working because my body had just gone into complete meltdown. And uh, so little by little, I brought friends in and um, they would come into the hospice and they would say, and they would do energetic healing work or they would sit at my bedside and talk, talk to me about nutrition. Now, of course, you know, um, having been a ballerina, the standard diet back then was oily fish and salad, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and we were really misled and, kind of, well, you know, all of, all of that propaganda telling us that, you know, oily fish is, is healthy, it gives you your omega-3s and that's where you get them from. And oh, the absolute rubbish that we were, that we were, were misinformed with is so upsetting and disappointing. But um, anyway, Sean, uh, to, again, cut a long story short, I did get out of there and was put into a um, high care, high dependency care unit. And I was immobile. I was in, stuck in there for a year, completely immobile. But little by little by little, I did actually start to start to be able to gain a little muscle. Um, I started to, you know, start to start to be able to move again a little bit. I had to relearn how to stand. I had to relearn how to walk. Uh, it was a very strange time and deeply, deeply challenging. It's really most bizarre. So what actually ended up happening was that um, 
after I got out of there, I was really struggling still. I was still wheelchair bound. I was still completely dependent upon people. And I had five separate friends say to me, what you need to do is you need to go, uh, you need to become vegan. And I was really resistant because um, I didn't know anything about veganism. I had tried to be vegan uh, for ethical reasons previously. And I was eating, because I thought this is what you had to do, I was eating rice, white rice, and um, steamed vegetables. And I thought that's what vegans ate. And again, you know, that was back in the early 80s. Um, so, you know, I was terribly, terribly misinformed. And I just felt tired. I felt hungry. I felt lousy. It just wasn't working. I thought, oh, well, okay, maybe, maybe I'm one of these people that needs protein. And, you know, you hear all this sort of rubbish about, oh, if you're a type O blood group, you have to eat meat and all that sort of complete Ah, oh, don't get me started on that, Sean, because that drives me crazy. It's so, so, so wrong. Um, but anyway, uh, that's kind of that's kind of what happened. Um, I, these five different people had all recovered from dire illnesses. Um, four of them had recovered from so-called incurable stage four cancer. Um, so, you know, I was listening to them. They didn't know each other, these people. They weren't sort of ganging up on me and saying, ah, oh, tell her to go and become a vegan. Um, you know, they were all just telling me their genuine stories. And I just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, in for a penny, in for a pound, I've tried everything else, nothing else is working. I'll go, and actually I went to Hippocrates. And uh, so it wasn't just <laughs> plant-based, it was raw vegan, and, uh, and, and that was that. So I fully admit that I was so ignorant, I knew nothing about veganism, I knew nothing about animal welfare. How the hell I didn't know, I really, really don't know. Um, but I think the interesting thing is that um, obviously when I went to Hippocrates, they do put you onto a, a raw plant-based program, but they also do show you the, um, you know, the videos. They do show you things like eating. They do show you things like forks over knives. They do show you things like earthlings. And you suddenly go, what the hell? What was I thinking? Um, and I was tortured by these films. I think we all are. Um, I'm tortured to this day. It's not a day goes by that I don't have to really... Um, kind of pull myself together when I know what's going on out there. So, Sean, that sort of, I hope that kind of brings you a little bit up to speed. I mean, I'm now a broadcaster. I write, I've, my, my latest book is called Rewind Your Body Clock. It's an international number one bestseller. It's available in different languages. It's available um, as, a, as an audio book as well. I'm also president of the Complementary Medical Association, which is the world's largest professional membership association for highly qualified complementary or as you say in the states integrative medical practitioners and training schools and so on so what we do is we make sure that everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet as far as standards are concerned and just make sure that that patients get the best options as far as health and well-being are concerned. So that's where we are up to date. Um, so that sort of brings us right up to I think now right now. So, you know, from hearing you, you're creating a lot of different ways to communicate not only your experience, but what you're learning um, about the vegan lifestyle. And I say the yeah. lifestyle because it's definitely a lifestyle. It's not just a diet. I look at plant-based diet, vegan lifestyle. Um, so how did you 
get to the point where you changed your life. You obviously overcame some amazing, some huge obstacles in your life in terms of health. How did that lead you to becoming the the president of the of this organization? Right. Okay. Well, um, that all uh, that the organization was set up before I actually got um, ill. So I, um, I, I was starting. I was actually at the beginning stages of not being terribly well. But at that, but to the on, you know, sort of to the side, you know, I was kind of just you know pushing my way through being really, really unwell. Uh, but I also knew that an organization needed to exist. Um, to be able to support practitioners, to educate doctors and other medical professionals about uh, lifestyle medicine. Obviously, my remit is to promote, um, at the very least, a plant-based lifestyle for people from the health perspective. But um, my, uh, if you like, my kind of hidden agenda is to really introduce people to veganism and um, so everything that I do for example with we, we send out a, a weekly e-newsletter from the organization and um, one of the things I won't do is cover um, research that is animal uh, you know where, where medical breakthroughs and natural even natural health uh, care breakthroughs have actually been tested on animals um, I, we, we don't support any animal abuse or testing or anything like that and I make it very very clear to everybody that that's what we're doing and why we're doing it um, my personal as I say I do have this vegan agenda um, I'm absolutely straightforward and honest about it um, but I do believe that um, a plant-based diet is the healthiest diet um, it's particularly if it's uh, an SOS free diet free of salt oil and sugar there's a, everything I everything I speak about from a health perspective is absolutely 100% evidence-based and I think it's crucial that we take it upon ourselves to any claims that we're making, uh, particularly with relevance to health and well-being, must be evidence-based because we are targets. You know, we are sitting ducks for the likes of the pharmaceutical industry. So, um, yeah, so so that's why I'm really, really keen on the science uh, side of things. I've since um, since setting up the CMA, written all the various books, and will continue to write various books and so on. Um, I've bolted on things like mind-body medicine from Harvard Medical School and so on. So this is all about bolstering uh, my ability to speak from a scientific platform um, for, so uh, as far as health is concerned personally for the animals and also of course for the planet so you know I see I see the vegan lifestyle as this sort of triumvirate this this triangle of of, of, of health you know the, the animals first and foremost health for, for us and health of course for the planet um, so that does that answer your question I hope that I covered that adequately. No, yeah, you did answer the question, but it brought up another one, and it touches on something that you personally went through, where you first went, tried to go vegan, and you came up against some obstacles, you didn't have the information that you needed, which is exactly my, my story. I went vegan for almost a year, and it was okay once I found the one or two things that I could eat all the time, but then when I went to Los Angeles, of all places, I didn't know where anything was, and, you know, you would think Los Angeles is, like, outside of the UK, Um but I didn't have the information and I fell off and went back into old habits. So for someone that's listening to this right now and they are interested in be going, going vegan, um, what are, let's, let's, let's narrow it down because there's a lot of different case, 
cases you can look at for why people go vegan. So let's say they want to go vegan because of the animals are taking an ethical choice. What are some things you would say to them to right. essentially open up that rabbit hole so they can go deeper down? Mm, okay. I would always say, start with the, start with the movies. Um, you know, do, do educate yourself. Um, do make sure that you really understand what's going out there. I mean, my, one of the sayings that I, I really do believe is true is that um, if you are vegan, you never go back. If you're truly vegan, you never go back because you go vegan because you know what's going on out there. And if you really educate yourself to really know what's going on out there, um, there's no way that you could ever go back to conventional, so-called, so-called conventional eating, um, which is questionable because it may well be that we developed as uh, plant um, eaters and the evidence really does point to that, does it not? Uh, but uh, yeah, so I would say educate yourself, know what's going on. Um, from the nutritional perspective, um, to keep yourself onto the, on the straight and narrow, uh, you know, of course, as we know, it's entirely possible to be a vegan and to eat Oreos and drink Coca-Cola and that's it. And you don't have to have anything else. You're still vegan because you're not harming any animals. Well, arguably those big companies, who knows? But you see, the point is that those foods don't incorporate any, at least over here in the UK, they don't incorporate any animal products and they are supposedly cruelty free. Um with those great big corporations. We don't know that for sure though, do we? So I would always say err on the side of caution. Um, so you could be a super, super, the point is you could be a super, super unhealthy vegan. But I don't think that that is actually doing anybody any favors. In the UK here, there is this uh, massive backlash against people who are so-called healthy vegans by people who are so-called vegan for the animals. Now, the point I try to get across is that you, if you are fit and well and healthy, you can do so much more campaigning for the animals than if you are, you know, absolutely just you have no energy, you're incredibly unhealthy, you're very unwell, you are likely to go on and develop chronic illnesses. You're not doing anybody any favors, least of all yourself, and certainly not, you're not caring for the animals by, by taking that sort of perspective. Um, but there are people out there who really feel that they just don't want to take that path, and, and I respect their position, but I don't think it's necessarily helpful. Um, so yeah, does that, does, that answer, does that answer that question, Sean? So, so just to recap from yeah. what I heard, you want to look at the documentaries. Um, yeah. and once you kind of look through the documentaries, um, what would be, what was the other part of that? Oh yes, yeah, sorry, right, okay. So I, and I would just say, uh, so, so look at the documentaries to know, you know, why. I think it's that whole Simon Sinek thing, that TED talk that he did, what is your why? Um, if you know what your why is, um, you're very, very clear about what you want to do because you know why you're doing it. If you're really clear about your why, which is the health of the planet, the health of humans, and of course, you know, uh, sustainability and most importantly, the health of the animals, then you know kind of why you're doing it. You're less likely to, to slip back. Um, my worry, and I think, and, and what I've seen is where you've got people who who become vegan, perhaps in Veganuary, um, which I think is now a worldwide phenomenon. Um, and then they sort of don't really do it properly. And I think becoming vegan in January is quite a difficult thing in some ways, because, uh, you know, it, you've, you've got to cook. It's 
well, it's over here you have to because it's bloody cold. Uh, but, you know, it might not be the same necessarily in, say, lovely, sunny South Florida. So you can eat your fruits and your salads and so on. And it's easy. It's kind of easier to, to be vegan in a way because you've got all those things available to you. But over here, you know, if as long as you take the time to... Um, learn just a few basic dishes it don't you don't have to be this spectacular vegan cook just a few basic dishes you will be away you'll be absolutely fine and you'll be hitting your macros and you'll know exactly what you'll be doing and you'll be feeling good you know you will notice a difference in in how you feel not just emotionally because of that momentous decision you've taken uh, to lead a more compassionate life but you'll also notice a massive difference, of course, because, you know, you'll just be kind of feeling, you know, once you're planning your meals properly, you'll be feeling better um, in general. So, yes, I think those are the I think those are the key points, really. So that's that's a good point as well, because once again, going back to me, um, when I first started going vegan, I didn't necessarily do it for the animals. I knew that that was a byproduct of my choice, but I. I didn't really put any stock into that, but it wasn't until for me, a big part is community. It was, I was able to meet people, meet animal rights activists and just ask them questions, having them right there. And they weren't judgmental. They weren't like, how do you not, you know, know this information? They're just like, they actually asked me a question. And mm -hmm. that question, um, you know, Susan Hargreaves from animal hero kids, I always drop her name because it, it you know changed my way. I look at things. It was like, Put yourself in the position of the animal and if that's something you would be okay with then then that's you know i'm paraphrasing of course but then that was just like a quick click and i actually said that to um i was speaking to a an owner of a restaurant who dropped the um i'm sure you've heard this and other people listening have heard this that are vegan um you know we yeah we do sell burgers but it's it's humane source. <laughs> And in my head, I was just like, okay, it's like, doo -doo 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 -doo, like a Sherlock episode. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to approach this? And I'm like, then I just threw that to him. I'm like, for me, I mean, what I would do when I said the exact same thing, and he was, he kind of paused for a second. Like I almost like dropped him on his, on his behind. And he was like, huh? So, so I say, I say all that to kind of just add on to what you were saying is that even if you're not coming into it for the animals, you're not looking at it as a lifestyle and you're looking at it more as a diet. I think that there's a responsibility on the community to be compassionate and to, to be open that they're on a, they're on their journey and even psychologically and, you know, you know, mentally how we're, we develop as human beings at a certain point, we're sort of fixed in our patterns and it takes intrinsic motivation for us to move on to that next step. That doesn't mean that we don't have an impact on that person's decision, especially if we're inviting them into a warm and welcoming community. But ultimately, it's that person's decision. Um, so with that being said, the other thing that I notice in the vegan community is the idea that just by going vegan, you're eating healthy. And you touched on it a little bit, but um, can you go a little bit more into like the sad, the sad, the standard American diet, the whole food plant-based diet, and what mm -hmm. um, you vegans especially should know about the difference between the two? 
Yes, of course, absolutely, Sean. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I find really intriguing um, the standard American diet, and we have very much the same sort of uh, foods over here. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely full of oil. It, those addictive addictive things that uh, open up our taste buds and really make us crave more and more and more product. Because don't forget, you know, the standard American diet is it's full of fast foods. It's full of pre-prepared foods. And these are products. And this is what they, these massive conglomerates, they want you. Yeah, they want your dollars. They want the pound in your pocket. They want your money. And so they will do whatever it takes. They will do whatever it takes to get it. And if that means that it's a case of pumping you full of fat, oil, and sugar, those are so addictive. They will keep you coming back for more and more and more. They have scientists working in labs, working out how to make an even crunchier, crispy uh, French fry, an even crunchier, crispy Pringle. Uh, you know, all of these, all of these snack foods, for example, they have people working out how to just ping your dopamine. I mean, my goodness, this is an, it's a, it's a science more than, more than it is an art. And so that's really what's going on there. Now, the problem is, of course, that, um, and this is not a conspiracy uh, theorist thing at all. Um, you know, we've got big pharma who make trillions of dollars a year from out, out of people's ill health, um, particularly in the states where you have a for-profit or for-money medical system. Over here, we're very, very blessed because we have a non-profit or not-for-profit uh, medical system, our NHS, which is the jewel in our crown, quite honestly. It is the most extraordinary, amazing, amazing system, um, and where everything is literally free at, uh, at the point of, of delivery. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I do have good evidence that shows that big food and big pharma and big chemistry and big oil, you know, they're all of these conglomerates are interlinked. They do support each other. So it is in everybody's interests in those fields to actually keep people just sick enough to keep needing those meds. You know, you don't want dead patients. You don't want to feed people to the point where they keel over and die because then you've got no more customers for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, so it's just about keeping everybody just sick enough to keep craving those foods, to keep them addicted, to keep them needing the meds and so on. It's just, it's a really, uh, it is the evil empire. What can I say? The axis of evil is, it's, it's horrendous. Um, so, you know, that's sort of what's, what's going on there. Now, um, how do we, so, so the problem with the uh, standard American diet, the food pyramid, is that it's chock full of um, really grubby carbohydrates. It's chock full of grubby, dirty fats that, you know, things like trans fats and so on that actually really are so deleterious to health. Um, they will cause all of the all of the conditions that we wrongly associate with um, being a natural part of the aging process, for example, we're seeing in younger and younger and younger populations. We're seeing children developing type two diabetes now. We're seeing children with heart disease. All of those things that you know your, your granny and your great granny and 
your great granddad used to get. We're seeing that in children now and teenagers. It's just so, well, it's it's obscene, quite honestly. Um, and it's all driven by the, the food pyramid and also the, you know, the general kind of sedentary lifestyle that people are leave, leading, screen-based lifestyles. They're not getting out, they're not getting into nature, they're not connecting with nature. So if you flip side that um, to, it's a very long answer to your question, Sean, I do apologize, but I am very passionate about this, this topic. The flip side of that is that you have a whole food plant-based diet um, whereby you know the nutrients are coming from um, foods that have not been tampered with foods that are as close to their natural state as possible um, so you're, you you are you're, you you can eat so much more of this type of food because essentially you can eat let's say an entire mountain of broccoli for the same caloric value as perhaps a hamburger you know so I'm not saying that anybody would necessarily want to eat a mountain of broccoli you probably wouldn't have the time to chomp through a mountain of broccoli but the point is within the a, a whole food a whole food plant-based diet you will be able to eat so much more food and get so many more nutrients out of that food as compared to the standard American diet, but with a far, far lower calorie count. And that is absolutely crucial. So for example, the standard American diet, the calorie count is absolutely astronomical. You've got people eating 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 calories a day because they'll be eating fast foods. Uh, whereas for example, you know, it's actually pretty hard um, as a woman, so say for example, as a healthy woman, I need about 2,000 calories a day because I'm pretty active. Um, so what do I need to do? Well, I have to find and eat a lot of food, a lot of whole food, plant-based food in order to be able to get myself to that 2000 calorie level. That takes some doing, um, but that's great. And I'm really happy about it because I really, really love food. So, so that's fine. So what I'm saying is if there's anybody out there who really, really likes to eat and you like to eat well, and you love, you love flavors and you love textures and you're passionate about food and eating, Look at plants. They are phenomenal. We've got three Michelin star chefs here in the UK who've gone plant based because the 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 palate is just explosive. So, you know, don't let the idea that, oh, I'm not going to get anything tasty to eat. Don't let that put you off because it's the opposite, my friends. So let me ask you this now. So I'm listening to this and I'm someone who's thinking about going vegan, which is, you know, the the biggest opportunity right now, the 95% or 94% of people who aren't vegan. Um, and they're like, okay, this sounds great. I've heard some lectures in the past. I'm ready. And I don't like to cook. And I'm so used to being able to go to the fast food restaurant and buy a $2 burger or, or you know, rice bowl or what have you. Now it's like, I go to the places and they're like $15 and, you know, so what would you say to someone who has that concern, which is a, which is a valid concern. Completely, um, completely legitimate. Um, where I live in, in England, I live in a very financially challenged area. Um, I live right on the coast and in the South of England. And we've got some uh, pockets in, in and around the vicinity of people who are third generation unemployed and you know and they don't cook and it's you know when you've got a night well 99 pence or 99 cent burger 
um, or you've got a great big bucket of KFC that, that a mum can feed her kids with uh, for next to nothing, then I have every, every sympathy with that position. I totally get it. Um, but the flip side of that is it's about uh, education and we have never, ever, ever been better placed to be able to learn things than we are now. A simple YouTube search will flip up, how can I live for less than, um, you know, less than a dollar a day? How can I, and, you know, how can I be vegan on, on $2 a day? You know, that sort of thing, you know, it's entirely possible. I did an experiment once just to see how low I could get my food bill per week. I got my food bill down to $10 a week. Uh, it's actually 10 pounds. So the truth of that was $12 a week. Um, and how did I do that? Well, what I did was I, I did the research, I educated myself, I have been very, very lucky in so far as I have traveled the world. So I know that, you know, you can create amazing tasty dishes from some beans and some rice, you know, I've been able to see those sorts of ethnic types of cuisine that are so spectacularly delicious, but are pennies, literally pennies to make. You can feed your family with, you know, with, with a couple of dollars worth of beans and rice, you know, it is doable. It's totally, totally doable. So the problem is that it does take time, but if you get organized, if you soak your beans overnight, then you can literally just boil them up the next day. You know, there are ways and means of doing it. Um, are there any ways of connecting with farmers markets? Do you have farmers markets in your vicinity? Um, do you have any food delivery uh, systems in your vicinity where you've got farmers who will actually go around and, and sort of do kind of like a little uh, a drive around and, and, and you can book and, 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 and get actually organic foods, foods that are not yet, in, in our area, we have lots of farmers who are not yet certified organic, but they are doing organic farming. So they charge next to nothing for all of their greens and their fruit and so on and so forth. So, you know, it depends on the level of commitment and it depends on the person's willingness to actually take responsibility and maybe just do a few Google searches and just a few YouTube searches um, and searching things like, how do I go vegan for cheap? How do I, how do I cook things um, that will not cost very much? You know, just be creative with your, with your Google and your YouTube searches. The information is out there. As I said, we've never ever been better positioned to be able to eat healthily for next to nothing than we are in, the, in this day and age. So now this is the point where I want to take a quick a shift and yeah. I want to talk like even for the start of that conversation, I was like, can you tell me your thoughts on the standard American diet? And, um, and the idea, the, 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 the smirk being that you're from the UK. So I'm, I'm sure it's, it's probably called something else, although maybe it's just unique to the United States because of all the industry. Okay, good. So. No, 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 it's not unique. And also don't forget, I, I spend um, half the year, well, not when lockdown's on, obviously, uh, but my partner's in the States. And so I spend half the year in America anyway. Um, so I've been going backwards and forwards. So I know intimately, you know, I've got a really, I always, you know, sort of call myself a pond hopper because I've got a foot in both camps. Um, but over here in the UK, yes, we certainly do have exactly the same food pyramid. Um, it's, um, by, would you believe, an organization called Public Health England? Um, mm, right, okay, well, <laughs> they, 
bless them, bless their cotton socks. Uh, it isn't as bad as the SAD, uh, but it's pretty close. But the good thing is that um, I write lots of magazine articles, and I'm not the only one by any means, um, but I write uh, every month for a magazine called Natural Health, uh, which is it's a women's glossy magazine. And you do get it in America as well. So a lot of your viewers may well have seen me. They may know me from, from Natural Health magazine and, and various TV programs and so on. Um, so in that, you know, I'm constantly, constantly educating about a plant-based whole food diet and vegan lifestyle. So that's how I, when I when I write or when I broadcast or I'm talking about a plant-based, whole food, plant-based vegan diet and compassionate lifestyle. So I always tag that onto the end because I do want people to know that veganism is not just a diet, it is a lifestyle. Um, so, so, so that's that. But yeah, over here in the UK, um, we're very lucky. We've got a few uh, TV doctors um, who are incredibly high profile. One that comes to mind is uh, Dr. Chatterjee. The other one is uh, Dr. Michael Mosley. And both of these guys are on BBC TV all the time. And they are constantly talking about how to add more vegetables to your diet, um, how to transition to a whole food plant-based diet, why you should transition to a whole food. So the British public are getting a plant-based diet um, really kind of rammed down their throats at the moment, which is why we are seeing this massive, massive vegan explosion here in the UK. Um, it's creeping into Europe and it's also, I think, having repercussions. Um, but, you know, we've got the, Ch the, the Charno brothers, sorry, we've got the Sarno, I say Charno, Chad Sarno and Derek Sarno over here in the UK and they've defected uh, to come to work for Tesco's and uh, they've actually created Wicked Kitchen and Tesco's gave them a fantastic research lab to be able to create plant-based foods. So these are pre-packaged plant-based dinners and so on. But it's great for people who are perhaps working, who perhaps are tired, they're at the end of the day, they don't want to eat um, meat and fish and, and animal products, but they just want to be able to slam something in the oven and have it heat up and they have a nourishing, tasty plant-based meal. So it's, it's we are spoiled here, I, I know we are, and I know it's not this that easy for everybody all over the world, um, you know, but I have to say that I think we are blazing the trail uh, for veganism um, as a lifestyle and plant-based eating um, as, a, as a nutritional strategy. Now, you, you mentioned something in terms of just the political structure, I don't even want to say political, but just the way that everything is kind of married to each other, pharmaceutical with big sugar and all, you know, let's go down, go down the line. Um, do you see that being a potential um, obstacle for, for the United States or let's just say certain states within the USA adopting more of a UK approach? It might be. Um, the, the, the reason I think that we're incredibly fortunate here is, as I mentioned, I touched on earlier about the National Health Service. So <clears throat> if we have anything wrong with us, we simply go to the doctors, get seen, get referred to a specialist hospital or get surgery or whatever we need, we get it. Um, we're just bloody lucky. I mean, we really are. And uh, you see, so what that means is there's no um, profit motive with our medical system over here. Um, so, for example, uh, medication over here uh, costs our NHS money. They have to buy it from the drug companies, right? 
But over here, our medications, what the drug companies are charging us for medications, the same medications in America are between four and 10 times or more expensive because you've got um, medications being paid for either by individuals or by the insurance companies. So the drug companies being beholden to their shareholders and needing to show a profit for their shareholders uh, do massively increase the costs of your medications in America. So the thing is, as I say, it's about, you know, the, the American model is keeping people just ill enough in order for them to keep needing the products. Um, so by, so, so what it means really is that if you, if you have everybody suddenly transferring to a um, whole food plant-based diet and they get healthier, then what does that do for the um, pharmaceutical industry? Doesn't help them very much, does it? Um, <clears throat> as far as the pharmaceutical industry over here in the UK is concerned, um, I am pretty much public enemy number one because I'm very vociferous about pointing out their blunders and their errors and, and their misdeeds and, and so on. And um, so I do put my head above the parapet in a very public manner. Uh, and I do tend to get, you know, the death threats and the rape threats and all the things that we get, you know, from, from horrific trolls. I, I get most horrific trolling. Um, but, you know, I pretty thick skin doesn't bother me. It used to, but it doesn't bother me now. Uh, you know, we now have words for these people. And, but, you know, the, so, so the reason why I get trolled so badly over here and I'm, you know, it's public enemy number one is because, you know, I promote complementary medicine and natural health care because from an evidence-based perspective, which means that what I talk about is credible. And that is awful for them because, you know, they want to position what we do in natural medicine as being all smells and bells and, and hippie stuff that is, you know, magical thinking and really doesn't work. Um, the last thing they need is some chick coming along who actually has a science, uh, you know, an advanced science degree and, uh, and actually makes a lot of um, sense from a scientific perspective. So you you see, um, we have in, within the com complementary medical field, the integrative medical field, we have and we can show that we have nibbled in to the pharmaceutical companies' profitability as people turn away from conventional meds and are using more natural approaches. So I think you'd be seeing the same thing in America if people decide to, in, in a wholesale fashion, migrate towards being more plant-based. I don't think the pharmaceutical industry and well, certainly big food are not going to like it unless farmers and big food realize that they can spot a, an opportunity in the market, much as Kellogg's have done, you know, they've, they've got their organic range and they've got their vegan products and so on and so forth. You'll see a lot of the big boys now are swapping because they've spotted the trend and they are spotting uh, ways of moving into the market, jumping on the vegan bandwagon. Now, if that happens, then America stands a chance of actually becoming more, um, well, healthier overall and more plant-based. But we've got to work, watch out for the vegan plant um, uh, junk food. That is a potential problem. And as we know, some of the uh, meat analogs um, that, that people have come out with may be a good way for people to transition, but don't be fooled into thinking that just because they're vegan, they're healthy because they're not. And I think a big part of it too is this coming from my background of education, uh, being a teacher, um, I'd rather say an educator, is 
there are so many different cases. People are so different in the ways that they're coming into being vegan and not even just their motives, but just the way that they're hardwired as an individual, their temperament. You know, a lot of, a lot of the people that I speak to in these podcasts, I notice like they have a similar characteristic where they face this tremendous adversity, they push through and they were dedicated and focused and that focus led them to create something that is contrib contributing, contributing rather to the vegan movement in general. Now, not everyone's built that way. Not everyone is going to take up a cause and fight through adversity to make it happen. Um, so I say all that to say there's so many different um, configurations of a new vegan being able to have people such as yourself and other people that we've come across saying the message in a different way, I think helps Yeah, because you, you, you do have that transition period that, you know, you could say, you know, you have the whole um, conversation with the reduction, um, what is it called? Reduction. Well, what, what people were against. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. Um, sort of state phased reduction. I think we call it over here. I don't know if that's what you would call it. But, but it's the same concept where people are fighting against that. It's like all or nothing. And then you have people who are like, that's okay. You got to meet people where they are. So I think it's, I think it's basically understanding, I say starting from where you came in, because that's, you have the, as far as being your expertise, you're, we're all the number one expert on ourselves. So to be able to understand your motives and why you've done it may open up the doors for you to get how other people have it. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I think you're absolutely right. And I do think that um, the onus is upon us to be able to um, educate. I think it's, I think it's, it's crucial because um, if we can, what there are a lot of, particularly in the UK, I don't know if you have this in the States, I don't think you do. I've spoken with uh, Frank Sabatino about this and we have these discussions. Um, I, I think that um, in the UK, there are an awful lot of really quite aggressive vegans. If you're not doing it for the animals, then, you know, basically just 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 don't talk to me. Um, and they are very, very confrontational and meat is murder and so on and so forth. Well, yes, it is. But um, the tactic that I use um, time and time and time again is that I'm I'm a stealth veganizer. So, for example, um, I'll give you a silly example of, of something that happened. I catered an entire party uh, for my family. I'd come back from America and it was like, oh, welcome home, me. Here's a, here's a party. Come to my party. And uh, anyway, so and I, I they were they were all you know sort of um, kind of hell at not. I wouldn't even say healthy eaters, but they're, they're not they're not junk food type people, you know, but they, they would cook at home. But it would always be sort of meat and two veg, very traditional English fare. And uh, anyway, so I, I whipped up this massive chili. I whipped up gorgeous salad. I made uh, cheesecakes and uh, oh, um, a beautiful cheese platter. Um, oh, you name it. It was, you know, just a really sort of spectacular party. Lovely, lovely, delicious stuff. And um, anyway, at the end of it, uh, my, my, my nephew, everybody loved the food. My nephew came up to me, said, he said, I said, Auntie, Auntie Princess, because they, uh, I, I, they have to distinguish between me and my sister. My sister wears 
jeans all the time and I wear dresses all the time. So the little kids, when they were very little, used to call me Auntie Princess because I used to princess around in, in dresses, not because I'm a total princess, you understand. Anyway, so they said, Auntie Princess, said, wasn't that really difficult for you making that meal? Because, you know, you had all that, you know, you had that beautiful chili and then you had all those cheese cheeses out. They were really nice and so on. And I said, the one thing you don't know is you didn't have, there was not one drop of cruelty orientated food. We say orientated in the UK. Well, like aluminium, we use far too many syllables. Uh, but yeah, so there was nothing cru uh, derived from any form of cruelty. That was a vegan meal that you had. He said, no. He said, I, I can't believe. And this is what I hear all the time, Sean. My goodness, if I knew that vegan food was really delicious, I can do this. It's easy. How do you do it? Teach me. So I do. So I lure people. I kill them with kindness. No, I don't. I feed them with kindness. Um, and so what and, and this is what I do with my videos of my YouTube channel and things like that. I, I teach kindly and I show people how to make delicious things and I talk about you know I've got a, a lovely uh, free recipe book on my website it's got the most spectacular easy meals really really easy inexpensive meals to make but my goodness they're delicious so I think if we can um, show people that they don't have to um, be some ascetic and meditate up a mountain and and not, uh, you know, have anything pleasurable again ever in their lives uh, because they've made this momentous decision to become vegan. Well, you know, if we can show them they don't have to do that at all, they can be very hedonistic. Mate, why not? You know, I think be kind, lure people with kindness. I think telling people that they're wrong and they're murderers and they're, they're evil and they're this and they're that actually causes a, a, a knee-jerk reaction. It causes the opposite of the response that you're really wanting. And what, what I would say to that, and, and it's, that's my personal take, how, how you approach it is the way I like to approach it. But what I've learned and what I've discovered from running um, SoFlo Vegans is I get to meet everyone that joins us where they are. So that even goes to the direct action vegans. And the, when I say direct action, it's like, you know, the demonstrations going into steakhouses and things of that nature, just in case you're listening and you're not sure what that is. Um, so where I come from is I practice that compassion for every single person, even for those people where I, I may not want to take their action because the way I look at it is once again, going back to people, um, being different, essentially, I'm going to summarize what I said before, just the people are different and some people that works, some people that direct action, you know, protesting, marching that works for them, that triggers something. So they're like, oh, Wow. I want to be a part of that. And for the people that it doesn't work for, the way I look at it is someone like myself or you doing, you know, you doing, that's perfect. Let's say somebody came to your party and they just walked through a demonstration or a protest and it was just like, oh, this is disgusting. I can't believe vegans, whatever, whatever. And they come into this and they're eating the food and they're like, oh my goodness. Well, then again, they, let's say they didn't know you. Yeah. <laughs> let's say they didn't know you and they just came as a, a plus one. Yes. And they're like, <laughs> wow, this food is amazing. Oh, wow, 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 wow. And then they find out later it's vegan. It's like, it creates that complexity. It creates that di dimension mm. for veganism because it is a lifestyle. It's not a cult. It's not a religion where you have this book, you open up to page 36 of the vegan Bible. You know, that doesn't exist, although I'm sure somebody's working on it right now. But um, I feel that everyone has their journey 
having multiple voices. And the other part of having the multiple voices is that sometimes we just want to relate to someone who maybe sounds like us, looks like us, is from the same place as us, or someone who may remind us of their favorite teacher or the ex-girlfriend or something like that, all subconscious running in the back of your mind. I think it's important to have all these different varying voices. So with that being said, Let's talk about your book and your new book that you have coming out. Can you, you talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, out already. I've got one here. Yes, there you go, Sean. No, it's, um, this actually came out uh, last year. Um, there we go. It's so really tell, <laughs> yeah, tell us about it. Rewind your body clock. I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in hearing about this topic. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, I would say that. I, I, I think it's really interesting because um, the thing about living well and aging successfully and actually halting and even reversing the aging process, it's entirely possible to do. It's entirely possible to, uh, you know, I spoke earlier about those diseases of aging that we, that we were chatting about, um, obesity, lifestyle-related cancers, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, um, circulatory problems, uh, kidney disease, um, short, uh, sorry, long-sightedness, all of these things that we automatically assume are a natural part of the aging process actually aren't inevitable. We have so much more control over the aging process and how we age than we could even begin to realize. Um, so when I was in the hospice and, um, and getting well, some friend of mine came in and uh, said, hey, I've got this, uh, I've got this, this uh, machine, you should have a go on it. Um, and it's, it's also information based as well. So we ask questions and, and we're going to test you and see what your biological age is. Now, at that time, I'd never heard the term biological age. I thought, okay, right, what's that? Then? And he explained it's different from your chronological age. The chronological age is how old you are um, in terms of how many birthdays you've had. So at the time, I was 37, 38. <clears throat> and uh, this was uh, um, 20 odd years ago now. And uh, so I thought, okay, fine, I'm always interested in you know, science, let's do it. And uh, anyway, I did it. And, and I came up with a biological age, meaning the, the age that my, my organs and my, uh, my sort of general body was, was coming out at 55 years old, which was a bit of a shock, as you can well imagine. So um, that was measuring at what, over 17, 18 years older than my actual chronological age. I was really, really, really surprised and quite, uh, quite dismayed. So I started looking into this whole kind of what new at the time field of anti-aging medicine. And it was really kind of in its infancy, although there have been researchers since well, before the 1930s, looking at ways of slowing down the aging process. And the original work on caloric restriction was done back in the 1930s. And they found that if you reduce the calorie intake um, of, um, of, well, does re relate to animal studies, but actually this was not in a cruel way. Uh, this was these were studies where, where they actually made the animals better. Um, and so they reduced the calories of uh, mice and rats by a third not, not drastically, but just by one third, and the others were allowed to eat as much as they wanted whenever they wanted. Um, and they found that these mice and rats lived massively longer and they were younger 
for far, far longer. They had shiny, glossy coats, bright eyes, fluffy little whiskers, and they were really energetic and they performed really well on, on maze tests and all those sorts of things that, that um, they, they enjoy doing. So this is actually not horrible research, thank goodness. Um, and then you have people um, moving further on, and I, I was researching all of this, this whole sort of anti-aging field and so on, and I really became quite passionate about it because of my result and, and looking at the work that was being done. So uh, after I had adopted my massive lifestyle change and, you know, got into my whole food plant-based way of eating and I changed my lifestyle, was exercising more and, and better instead of killing myself with things like ballet and, uh, and so on, I, I then retested myself um, a few years later and I tested at 27 years old so that was you know um my goodness i'd rewound my body clock um by yeah by by to, for, so from 55 to 27 i'd actually rewound those biological years within just about um a few months six months or so which is extraordinary. It just goes to show what we can do when we make a lifestyle change. It doesn't take long. These changes, that dramatic change, happened within six months or so. So anyway, I've been working in this field and teaching on natural anti-aging approaches. Um, and uh, so I was approached by uh, a publisher, Watkins in the UK, who are partnered with Penguin in the USA, to write this book. Um, it became an in international instant number one bestseller. It was the fastest selling book on Amazon out of all of the books out of all of the topics on Amazon uh, when it launched yeah um, it's gone into translation um, across the world it's now I, I narrated the audio book um, and it's a really really neat book so in it I cover absolutely everything that we need to do to stay well and healthy and to be able to stave off those diseases of aging, if we already have them, we can actually halt them in their tracks and in many cases reverse them. So there's good evidence. It's just not me just making it up out of out, off the top of my head. I, everything in the book is, is absolutely 100% evidence-based. And at the end of the book, I know that I throw a lot of information at people. You know, I talk about sleep. I talk about mindset. Mindset is 99% of the battle when it comes to aging successfully and rewind your body clock. Um, I talk about managing emotions, I talk about herbal medicine, I talk about hormones, I talk about exercise, I talk about you name it, I talk about it. And so um, in the end, uh, at the end of the book, I give them a, the, the reader, a 21 day rewind plan so that they can actually integrate all these changes easily and simply and not in an overwhelming way, because otherwise the book has got so much info in it, it would be overwhelming otherwise. So who who would be the ideal person for for this book? Like it would be a must have in their collection. Anybody who wants to be happier, healthier. So the strap line is the complete natural guide to a happier, healthier, younger you. Anybody who wants to feel better, who wants to live the kind of life where they're able to um, enjoy their, their children, their grandchildren, where they want to stave off the diseases of aging, where they want to be, you know, just to, to, to look better on the outside and to be, actually be physically better on the inside, to have better mental health. I mean, that is crucial. I know throughout lockdown, uh, mental 
mental health problems have skyrocketed. Um, the calls to suicide hotlines have skyrocketed. All of the strategies in this book, I mean, I have a whole chapter on the neurobiology of happiness and little tweaks that we can make in our daily lives just to massively increase our basic happiness set point. People used to think, scientists used to think that we had a certain allocation of happiness level and that was it and there was nothing we could do to change it. Nothing could be further from the truth. We can change our happiness levels. We can combat depression. We don't have to resort to drugs. There will be times when people, you know, when drugs will get somebody out of a hole um, in the short term, but there are lifestyle strategies that people can adopt that will enable them to lead a sustainably happy life. Where, you know, if somebody's really struggled with sleep, they can go to my website, they can download, um, I, I've got a beautiful free download on my website, uh, and it's called Yoga Nidra for Deep Restorative Sleep. It's a 20 minute meditation, uh, but based on uh, Vedic uh, research, which we know is many, many, many thousands of years old, but it's a meditation technique where 20 minutes of this meditation is the equivalent of two hours of deep restorative sleep. So people listen to it at night as they're going to sleep. Everybody says, you know, it's a great meditation, Janie, but I have no idea how it ends because they've got into a deep meditative sleep and it's really great. Um, so people find that very, very useful if they've struggled with um, insomnia all their lives. I make all of these things available for free because these are life skills that are absolutely crucial. As I say, I've got that recipe book. If people want to become vegan and they don't know where to start, just go and get the recipe book. You know, it's just, it's all free. I, I really believe that knowledge um, is, you know, if we've got knowledge that we can share, then let's get it out there as a base start. And if people want to come on and come along and buy the book because they want to get into it more deeply, they can do that. That's fine. It's on Amazon. It's discounted at the moment. So if anybody fancies taking a look, they're more than welcome to. And I, I just want to thank you as we wind down the podcast. Um, I've, I, once again, wanted to speak to you for a long time. I love the fact that you're so, you have so much knowledge when it comes to the vegan lifestyle as a whole, um, the fact that you have the experience of living in the UK, although you're back and forth between the United States, which is even better. You can compare it. <laughs> you compare both of them. Um, Trust. <laughs> what are what are some takeaways as like as, once again as we went on the podcast that you would want to leave our audience with? Right. Okay. Well, you know, Sean, I would actually say, you know, just just as I mentioned just now, you know, we have so much more control over our future wellness and happiness um, than we could even begin to imagine. And if we are well and happy, then it means that we are then empowered to be able to make great change in this world. So, you know, whether that is by making change on the planetary level, by leading a more ecologically sound and sustainably focused life, by reducing our use of, of single-use plastics and so on, um, whether we are wanting to campaign for things like Black Lives Matter, you know, whether we are, you know, we, we to, to be able to sustain um, our energies to be able to make real change in the world and to make the, the world a better place for everybody right now and for the people who come after us, then I really do feel that from a science-based perspective, because that's where, you know, I am the science chick, from that perspective, 
that's where I'm coming from. Um, so it's really eating a whole food, plant-based diet. If you are actually also looking to really ramp up your health and well-being, cut out those addictive factors of salt, oil, and sugar. Um, my, the recipe book I, I spoke to you about actually has SOS-free recipes in it if people want to get started with that. Um, and just really, I would say finally to close, just be kind to each other because that's really what matters. Kindness is really, truly what makes the world go round. And I want to thank you so much for speaking to our audience and sharing your knowledge, your warmth, your kindness. And one last time, where can everyone find more information about you? Okay, uh, well, uh, my website is janiegoddard.org. Um, I'll make sure that you've got the spelling of that because, you know, child of the 60s, you know, my parents gave me a really bizarre spelling to my name. So it's janiegoddard.org. And the Complementary Medical Association for any practitioners, healthcare practitioners, integrative medical doctors, that sort of, you know, those sorts of people. If you're interested in finding out about the CMA, it's the dash cma.org.uk. Again, Sean, I'll make sure you have the correct spelling of that again. It's not the simplest um, URL. <laughs> okay, but yeah, it's really easy to get hold of me. And as I say, you know, if people want to check out the book, it's on Amazon, um, or you can get it from my website, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to having you on again sometime in the future and continuing to follow all of the amazing things you're doing for the vegan community. Thank you so much, Sean, for having me. I feel so privileged to be with you. Thank you so, so much. Hi, my name is Melissa Guzman. I am owner of the Caribe Vegan Food Truck. I went vegan uh, after I was diagnosed with an autoimmune illness. Uh, so then after I was diagnosed, I thought that I couldn't have any of my favorites. Uh, and so then when I moved to Miami, I just noticed that people were actually veganizing empanadas and rice and beans and all these things and I never thought it was awesome because it brought such nostalgia out to me. Um, ideally, everyone wants a brick and mortar, have a restaurant, but uh, it is very difficult for uh, women of color to get loans at this time. So I partnered up with the Opalaka Foundation and then I was able to get this lovely food truck. So this is our Oye Acere which is mojo jackfruit, a little bit of mustard, um, like onions, and then you have a little bit of tostones with a little bit of Cajun spice on there. It's, I love this meal because I used to love um, eating Cuban sandwiches growing up, so this kind of has like a medianoche kind of feel. It feels great to like actually veganize some of the, my old Miami favorites. I wanted the food to be, to be uh, actually just like a, a, a reminder of just taking you back to the Caribbean. Just, you know, like a nice, you know, a pina colada smoothie, a dish that your grandma would make, which is like, we call manos de abuelita, which is like, you know, you know, cutting up the cilantro, the herbs, mashing up the garlic, like very fresh herbs and spices. Uh, some of the things, I grew up in Miami, so comforters was one of my favorite things, even though it's Bahamian, I still, you know, loved it. So I wanted to veganize that. So this is our signature dish. It's called the Caribe Piña. 
So it's the sliced piña, rice, pineapple salsa, and then our infamous punk fritters on top with our special sauce. So yeah, so platanos, for example. Platanos is one of my favorite things. I'm Dominican, so we can eat it morning, noon, night, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we need to resolve a problem. Platanos are here to the rescue. So it's like the Dominican medicine. Uh, so I really wanted to incorporate a lot of platano dishes into our menu and just be creative with it. See how far we can go with it. So like, for example, we have veggie skewers and on the outside is crispy uh, platano. We have a crab cake and on the outside again, it's like platano with Haitian prickly. I really just wanted to infuse the Caribbean into this menu. So I usually I am in Miami, Florida, which I grew up in Miami, Florida. I try to be in food deserts, which don't have a lot of like vegan food options because I grew up in an impoverished neighborhood. However, I've been getting a crazy amount of requests to come up north. Pembroke Pines, Miramar, Fort Lauderdale. So I figured, you know what? One in Rome, let's give it a try. So I'm coming up north, partnering up with SoFo Vegans, which is a great organization pushing veganism forward. So anything about veganism and just helping people make right choices while they have a choice and it's not an obligation, I'm all for it. We want to thank both Janie Goodard and Melissa Guzman for spending time with us. Be sure to go to our website, soflowvegans.com slash podcast to see links for today's episode. While you're there, sign up to become a member. Access never before seen content showcasing the vegan lifestyle in South Florida and so much more. Check out our vegan directory with hundreds of resources and get connected with our community. If you'd like to connect with us, you can send an email to contact at soflowvegans.com or message us on Facebook and Instagram, even Twitter, using at soflowvegans. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. For more information on opportunities with SoFlow Vegans, visit soflowvegans.com opportunities. Goodbye. <laughs>